Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, a monthly podcast unpacking stories from the persecuted church that would challenge everything you know about faith, Jesus, and the church. Open Doors Live is hosted by Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto, and I'm your producer, Beth Westwood. In today's episode, join Mike for an interview with a Bible smuggler. Dean Keeney is the founder of Open Doors Australia, who played a critical role in one of the most successful Bible smuggles of the 20th century. Hear the role that Dean had to play in sending an encrypted message for thousands of Chinese believers waiting on a secluded beach for Open Doors to deliver one million Bibles in a single night. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast and make sure to rate and review it and let us know what challenged your faith in today's episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. It is great to have you with us. And joining me is Dean Keeney. Now, he is the founder of Open Doors in Australia. He started Open Doors in 1978, an incredible story. He still works with us today, and um, and it's a great privilege to have him with us on this call today. It's good to be with you. Before we get to the questions, let me just set the scene for you. So the year was 1981, and Christians in China... Well, they weren't allowed to gather a church or own the word of God, the Bible. Many were imprisoned, tortured, or even killed for their faith in Jesus. A plan was hatched by Open Doors to courier one million Bibles into China overnight, and it was called Project Pearl. The smugglers successfully delivered the Bibles in China, and the nation was flooded with the good news of the gospel. It was the most successful Bible smuggle of the 20th century. The founder of Open Doors Australia, Dean Keeney, who joins us today, well, he was actually part of that operation. And so I thought, what better thing to do than get him on a call, ask him questions about it. It was an incredible achievement. 1981, an Open Doors smuggles one million Bibles into China. And so, Dean, it's great to have you joining us today. How are you feeling this morning? Well, I'm feeling good, Mike. Yeah, I look forward to uh, answering any questions about Pearl you may have going back yeah. to my mem- memory. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's a while ago now. Tell us, so Time Magazine literally said it was one of the boldest kind of evangelical um, moves of Christianity or acts of evangelism. I mean, it was absolutely astounded at, at the scale by which Project Pearl was and the time that it was done being 1981. Can you tell me, how did you stumble across it? How did you end up being involved in the project? Well, Mike, when we, my wife and I came and started the base in Australia, uh, we were working under Brother David, who was the Asia director of Open Doors. He wrote the book, God Smugglers to China, and he was working there as a missionary with Open Doors, uh, trying to find out how he could get God's word into China. So the Lord kind of led him to this project. And really, it was a God project. God wanted to provide his word for the believers in China. Many, like you said, didn't have the word of God. Believers there were praying for three to five years for a personal copy. Missionaries were thrown out when the communists took over. And they said the church was about 800,000 to a million strong. You know, then the Holy Spirit took over and it started to grow. Revival broke out. And that's where the church started growing. And Brother David met Mama Kwan, who was a leader of a house group in China, many house groups, numbering over a million Christians. And so she tested us. She kind of said, well, can you bring us some Bibles and 
are you going to hurt us in doing it? So we had to work very wisely, take them in safely. First, we started with 1,000. Then it moved to 10,000. No harm came to them. Went to 30,000. Still, no harm came to them. Then the request was, okay, bring us one million. And I love what Brother Andrew says. You know, they must not have known what the million Bibles looked like, or they wouldn't have asked. We didn't know what the million Bibles looked like, or we wouldn't have said yes. <laughs> so it was all God bringing this to pass, faith in him that it would even happen. It's amazing. It's um, to think through the way what we kind of drip fed, you know, the, the smaller volumes and the smaller quantities, and even hearing some of the names of the people you talk about, Mama Kwan and all these other people who were just instrumental in the growth and development of the Chinese church. In fact, I remember one of the brothers kind of said, you know, before sort of communism really took its hold, they used to meet centrally, you know, like um, in the four walls of an institutional church. And one of the quotes this believer or brother said to us was, you know, when we used to meet centrally, we would practice our faith in the church and almost nowhere else. All right, It's kind of eerily similar, I guess, to us in the Western church at times where we can, we can compartmentalize our faith to a Sunday and forget about Monday. But this guy said, you know what, in China, it was no different. We did the same thing. He said, but then when persecution came and kind of scattered the church and overnight forced it into homes, he said, we began to practice our faith in our homes and therefore everywhere else. And I think that's a beautiful picture of where that, that sort of Chinese revival began. And then off the back of that, as you said, we drip fed in smaller, larger, ever increasing number of Bibles to the point where it was 1 million. And I loved it how you said it. You know, if the Chinese knew how many 1 million was, they probably would never have asked. And as Brother Andrew said, if he knew how many 1 million was, he would never have said yes. But this sort of obedience and kind of carefree trust in God resulted in something incredible. Can you tell me, what was your role in Project Pearl? Well, my role was, uh, at first, I didn't think it was a very important one. I had been in the U.S. Navy, and I was a radio in the Navy. So when Brother David said, uh, Dean, you're going to be the radio on the project, I kind of said, why me? Uh, He said, well, you were a radio in the Navy. Because I I would have loved to have been on the boat myself, you know, and actually taken the trip. But I had that important task of actually making sure I got the message right, first of all. Uh, and when we heard about it, he would call us up to the Philippines and we kind of developed a radio shack in one of the rooms where Brother David lived. And I was going to actually pass the final message over to the church in China through a phone link out of Hong Kong with the son of Mama Kwong. And when the time came, it was actually the message that had to go was, we're going to have a party, prepare 18 bowls of rice, 21 cups of tea. And that 18 bowls of rice, the number 18 was the date of when the tugboat and the barge with the main Bibles would be at the beach. Of the 21 cups of tea was military time, 9 p.m. in the evening, which showed them the exact time they would be at the, at the uh, beach. And that's when it all started happening. And they had a thousand or thousands of believers who had come to the beach prepared and waiting for that. And when they heard hope showed up, Bibles were starting to be offloaded. Believers just started sending messages to all the other believers, treasure treasure 
come to the beach. And a lot more started showing up. So it was really exciting. But I'm glad I got the message right. or I would have had the wrong date and the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I love, and I think it's a little bit um, tangential to this conversation, but you talked about the feelings of going, I would have loved to have an important role, you know, to be on the boat. But then kind of in hindsight, you realize that all of your training, all of your previous professional life had had led and shaped you to actually fulfilling a very important role, although maybe not public facing or, you know, on the front line. I reckon there's a lot of people watching this that wrestle with, um, particularly in today's culture, the need for that, that kind of platform position, that public front facing on the boat, if I can call it that position. How, how were you able to overcome those feelings of going, well, maybe it's not an important job and to, to the point now where you say, I had the really important job of doing this, getting the message right. How did you sort of walk that journey? Well, I actually you know, started to think about it. And there was when they developed the radio room, uh, one of the questions I asked them was, uh, what are you guys going to do as a backup? And it stunned everybody because they realized that they had no backup plan. In other words, in the Philippines, we used to have brownouts. Electricity had stopped. Mm. It would shut everything down. And they'd schedule these anytime during the day or night. And so when I asked that question, it stunned them. And they thought, wow, we never thought of that. And so they had to hook up a bunch of batteries. And that was the experience of being in the Navy, the training there. I knew that things happened. You had to have communication. And this was going to be all about communication. Not, a, not only that, but another thing was I could hear things on radio that maybe an untrained person wouldn't be able to hear, like atmospheric pressure, static that was out there that could change and distort the message. Uh, and I remember one time, Brother David rang from the southern part of the Philippines where they were having the barge built, and it couldn't get through on the phone because his voice was so soft nobody could hear him. And so finally they passed the phone to me and says, Dean, you try it. So I, try, I listened. I said, there's nobody there. And then I listened again. So I thought, okay, do your training. And I started trying to weed out everything that I was taught in the Navy to discard. And I heard this slight whisper, so slight. It says, send the helicopter, send a helicopter. And I turn around and the minute I said that, one of the guys jumped up and said, that's it, because they needed to get down there fast to get Brother David back to Manila to do something that he had to have done. Uh, and it was just that training that really God prepared me before, long before. And then I guess that made me a bit happy that, hey, I was in the right role. <laughs> yeah, look, I think that's <laughs> uh, look, I think that's an incredibly important um, lesson for all of us is that often what we consider um, I guess you could say unimportant, God can make important or what we consider that has no value, God can give it value. And, and all of that training, all of that background of yours in the, the Navy shaped you even to be able to hear that message alone was transformative and made a difference. And so, again, I hope that's an encouragement to some people who are probably wrestling with the notion of, well, do I bring any value or, or have I got any skills or is anything I do helpful to the kingdom? But I think your story and your journey shows that let's never discount the past or the training the Lord's given us because he can use it and he can use it powerfully for change. All right, jumping back into Pearl. Tell me, how did the mission go? One million Bibles, one night on a beach in remote China. Tell me, how did, how did it go? Was there any danger? 
Did the boat nearly get caught? Well, there was all kinds of problems. You know, just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy because he wants you to rely on him. You got to put your trust in him. And even when things don't seem to be working the way you'd like to have him work, he's involved and he wants you to be involved with him by prayer. So we had a lot of prayer groups around the world. One of the first problems was that they were late leaving the Philippines with the barge because the guys building the barge were taking too long and didn't put the valves in. Without the valves, you weren't going to be able to sink the barge to offload the 231 ton packages. And so they were late about a day or two and they, when they started sailing out. The captain, Bill Timothy, he actually said, look, he said, I don't understand it. It can't be possible, but it is. And they looked down and said, what, what's going on? He said, we're making up time. We're making up time. God is pushing us through the water. We had to be in Hong Kong to load the Bibles at a certain date. But we're behind time, but we're making up time through rough seas. How is that possible? Well, that's God's part, you know. And then all the navigation equipment on the tugboat failed. Because the tug was over five years old and equipment like that only has a certain length of time, that all failed. They had two typhoons heading their way. Of course, when I told them about one of them, they always said, well, we got to pray. And we got the prayer groups around the world to start praying. And the Lord sent one of the typhoons towards Taiwan. And I often jokingly say that's their part of Project Pearl. They had to handle the typhoon. We also needed a sea like glass in the full moon because this was typhoon season. And when they arrived at the beach, what happened? They passed two Chinese gunboats that were manned and they were going into the beach. And then when guides would say, Captain, do you realize? He says, I don't want to know. Just get to work. And they sailed out. Everything passed. And the interesting thing was the scripture verse that came from China, the Chinese believers, was that on that night, it will be like Moses and the Israelites caught at the Red Sea by Pharaoh. God will put his cloud between both so that one doesn't come near the other all the night. And that's what happened. And when they offloaded the Bibles, everything, it took them two hours they were finished. All the Bibles were on the beach. Then it was in the hands of the Chinese believers. And after a while, the PSB came onto the beach because of all the activity. They found some of the Bibles that were up in the tree line, hidden in the boxes. They tried to burn them. Guess what? God sent a rain, putting out the fire. They couldn't burn them. So they threw them into the ocean. And the loose Bibles started floating. It looked like kanji or... I would say the white pages in the moonlight looked like fish. So the Chinese fishermen out there would come over and start loading them onto their boats. They took them in the town, in Chantau, and were dry, drying them off in the top of the houses, started selling them back to the believers. The boxes of the Bibles they threw in actually started floating out around the breakwater, got caught in the current, heading up to the city, Chantau. Believers there were finding boxes of Bibles floating up to the beach, and they picked them up. Some weren't Christians. They were fishermen. So what did they do? They were tearing the paper out of the Bibles, wrapping their fish, and selling it to people. And the Christians said, hey, wait a minute. These are pages from God's Word. Where'd you get them? And so they found out where the Bibles were from the fishermen, and they had this guy come to make arrangements to buy every box of Bibles that they had. 
and so Bibles from the boxes were actually being delivered to the the church, the house church believers. So it was amazing how God just took over everything. Those Bibles reached all 50 provinces of China. Wow. It took took five years to do it. Some were buried. They wait for the heat and the government to stop investigating. Some paid with their lives, some of the believers, but that was their part. Uh, They were willing to give their life just to get the word of God. And this is what they ask us to do. It wasn't something we thought they needed. They ask us. We only do what the believers ask us to do. Yes, what I love about Open Doors is that we're not, I guess, a Western kind of savior going in there saying, here's what you need. We're asking the local church, how can we serve you? How can we help? Now, a million Bibles, Dean, a million Bibles in one night that reaches all 50 provinces. You know, they float around breakwaters and head up the street and they're sold back to believers after being used to wrap fish. You know, what is the impact? And do you know the impact of Project Pearl on China, the Chinese church, I guess? Well, I think it was, I would say it was like pouring petrol on a fire because, you know, when the Holy Spirit started building the church, revival broke out. And when we, not us, but the other missions, finally, when they found out after communism, when Mao Zedong passed away in 76, after the Cultural Revolution, they found the church had gone from about 800,000 million to 10 million believers. Who did that? The Holy Spirit wow. did that. And so it was delivering a million Bibles into that revival. And it just was a shot in the arm to the believers. We were getting letters out of China writing to dear brother Andrew and all you other little brother Andrews. Thank you for what you did. You don't know what this means to us, that you would take the time to bring us the word of God. And then we heard testimony after testimony of believers who were just renewed in their faith. We heard uh, testimonies of the Bible out of the sea, wet Bibles being given to people. One lady had to actually quote uh, the Lord's Prayer verbatim before someone would even give give her a Bible. And she did it. And the way she did it, she did it because she had a hand copied portion of the Bible that had the Lord's Prayer in it. That's all she had. That's all she knew. But then she was handed her own private pearl Bible. And many of these believers have now chosen to go proclaim the gospel throughout the land. And and they're actually talking about now taking the gospel back to Jerusalem. I mean, wow, what a task. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what God has laid on their heart now. And so the church now has gone from well, 10 million when they opened up, they say now it's as high as 100 million or even more. I mean, who can count? Only the Lord knows, but they are alive. And, you know, it was really God planning this and accomplishing it. It was all him. He did it. <laughs> yeah, amen. I, um, I remember when I first started with Open Doors, reading a story about uh, Mao Zedong, as you said, died in 76 and was a, a communist, you know, despot leader in many ways. But one of the um, one of the believers from sort of back in that era would say on the anniversary of Mao's death every year, they would sit with a couple of other believers in their apartment and they would toast Mao Zedong. And I remember reading that thinking to myself, that seems so strange coming from Chinese Christians. And, and as I read further on in the story, they said, well, the thing with that is that Mao taught the Chinese people to worship. 
He said that he conditioned us to believe that he was God. We had to worship him, right? And he said, and this believer said, so when Mao died and we realized that he wasn't God, we went searching for God, right? And ultimately, in so many ways, they said, well, we want to every year honor and acknowledge Mao for conditioning us to worship and sending us on the true search for the real God. And I thought that was such a typically provocative way of looking at the catalyst of faith. I mean, we often talk, Dean, you and I, about the fact that God used Saul to build the church as well as Paul. In fact, Saul breathed life into the Great Commission. And I think hearing that story about Mao and the way people and believers have learned from his horrific leadership but are able to now point that towards God, it's one of the ways the Holy Spirit moved hearts and drove people towards God. Now, you sort of come forward so many years, you know, 40 odd years since Project Pearl. Are you still hearing testimonies, Dean, about people who have been transformed by Project Pearl? Yeah, it was, you know, a lot of these letters that have come out, and then we've heard that, you know, from people actually who are on the boat themselves have met Chinese believers. Uh, we know of a case in Brazil where a Chinese mother came into the office when the office opened up, had a little baby girl with her and started talking about China, that she was led to go back to China to actually preach the gospel because she was talking about how they were following false doctrines. If you only had a little bit of the Bible, you could get caught in some uh, crazy type of, uh, you know, cult that was doing it this way or said you had to believe this way or baptize that way or you're not truly saved. So she wanted to take the truth back and to really, you know, straighten out some of the false doctrines. So as they were, you know, just fellowshipping with her and talking, they said it was like opening up China to them again. And then before she left, she actually pulled out her Pearl Bible. She had a copy of the Word of God. Another case was Brother Andrew was speaking in Washington, D.C. at a meeting, and the Brother Wang was there. Brother Wang, he wrote real quickly on a note, sent it up to where Andrew was speaking, said, I got to talk to you, all that. And he said he was involved in taking Bible from Xi'an to another part in Xinjiao. And he, he was transporting the Bibles. And you know, Brother Andrew was blown away, like here was a guy who was inside China, who was actually involved in the distribution network. I had the privilege of actually meeting on the beach in November 2015, when we were actually there. And my first time on the beach was just to see where it happened. But then we met believers who were involved in the distribution network. And it was just amazing, you know, what would it actually happen? There was this one pastor, he said that, he had prayed for three years to get a Bible. And then he finally got his Pearl Bible. He was so thrilled with it. He read it through three times in three weeks. And then he promised God, he says, I will be an itinerant evangelist because everyone in my country needs to hear this message. And so he started itinerant evangelism in himself, going through the land. Now, Ten years later, he had a group, a network of over 400,000 believers. And it was like, that was the impact that that project did. The word of God in the hands of people thirsting, hungering 
loving God's word, giving their lives for it, are going to be effective ministers of the gospel. They're going to win souls for Christ. And it really kind of puts us in the Western world a bit ashamed of ourselves. You know, why don't we love God's word that way? What would we give to give God's word to those around it? You know, when I ran into this, uh, well, I didn't run into it, but I was reading the Bible one day, and I come across this scripture, and I says, you mean to tell me Project Pearl was written in the word of God? <laughs> and then I read this scripture, Deuteronomy 33, 19, the later part of the verse says this, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of treasures hidden in the sand. Man, we put the treasure, the word of God, on the beach, in the sand, on the beach, Michael Beach in China. I said, Lord, you are amazing. <laughs> you had this plan long, long ago in the book of Deuteronomy. So yeah, it's like, wow. you know, just give him all the glory for what he has done. I think that's one of the, um, well, one of the, for me, one of the questions that I'd love to get your insight on is that Open Doors since 1955, when Brother Andrew began, really has been that kind of um, Indiana Jones, that kind of risk-taking faith, whereby what we do is we really believe that, you know, smuggling Bibles, giving people practical support, training, discipleship, you know, they're the real keys to ensuring the ongoing survival and um, courage of the church living under persecution. In fact, we would say that as a charity and organisation, we're not here to end persecution. In fact, in many ways, we, we're not even here to stop it growing because we believe it's biblical. So we're here to give people the strength to stand in the face of it and shine as brightly as they can. And as part of doing that is positioning the persecuted church. There's, there's almost like a spiritual mentor to the Western church because, Dean, as you know, there are people who by name persecuted church have mm -hmm. overcome the bonds of cultural oppression, whether it's government other religions, society, culture, to remain courageously close to Jesus. And so what we do as an organization is we, we form a conduit, almost like a bridge between the two sides of the church, hopefully capturing and articulating and telling the stories of the persecuted church to the church, to the so-called free church, in order to say, hey, here's how you can courageously follow Jesus, no matter the cost. And, and, and in the process, would you be willing to sort of serve and support um, financially through prayer, through presence, the persecuted church? So I guess the question in a roundabout way is what has Project Pearl taught you about faith in God? How has it shaped, um, reframed or formed a deeper sense of faith, trust in God for you? Well, I think it's, it just brings home again that God is faithful and that if he calls you to a ministry or to do something for him. He's going to be right with you there in the midst of it. He's not, you know, even the Great Commission says, go and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he doesn't send you out there on your own. And it teaches you that not only is he faithful, but that all things are possible with God. He can do anything he wants. And he's really interested in getting his word into the hands of his children. Uh, that's his number one priority. Uh, and that's why the scriptures say, you know, that this gospel will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. Well, he wants us to take his word to all the world. Even before he comes back, he's not ready to come back. 
until we do what he's asked us to do, and that's get his word. Because how are they going to believe without a preacher? How are they going to hear without someone being sent to them? So it's all about him, again, calling us where we as believers in the West have to realize that, hey, we can have a part. We may not travel to Africa or Asia or the Middle East personally, but, you know, we can put Bibles into the hands of those who do. That what my wife and I chose to do way back in Denver, Colorado, when we first read God's Mother in 1967. We said, this man is willing to go to Eastern Europe and Russia with the Word of God back in those days, and I can put Bibles into his hands. I didn't feel called to go to Russia. <laughs> I thought they were the enemy, but I didn't never realized about the Christians who lived there. They weren't the enemy, and they needed the Word of God. So I chose to do that. We did that for 10 years, and then God said, I guess he said, well, you've done that long enough now. Get up and go. And that's when he sent us to Australia, uh, because he started it in us. He just started changing our hearts. And I think if people are willing to have God change their heart and just really you know, call them and, you know, put their hand up like Isaiah did. Here am I, Lord, send me. Uh, and things are going to happen. But, you know, God is faithful. He who calls you will do it. That's the main thing. If he calls you, he's going to do it. It's not you, it's him. We just get to be his co-workers and have a part in what great things he's doing in the world today. Amazing. Amazing. What a beautiful place to finish. Dean, from us to you, thank you so much for your obedience, for your willingness to share the stories and to encourage everyone watching this. It's been a great blessing and privilege to hear from you today. You're welcome, Mike. Uh, thank God. It's all him. It would have never happened without him anyway. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. To find out more about how you can support the persecuted church, head to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Beth, and we'll catch you next month for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.